Joseph Moretta, and thank you for joining us. On today's episode, we have special guest John Mink to discuss uh, the global uh, the, the SNOP process of today's global supply chains. Uh, John has over 30 years of experience in the SNOP process with pertaining to supply chains, and he's also the author of Forecasting with Outliers, which is his brand new book that just came out. So without further ado, I want to welcome John Mink to the show. Welcome, John. Thanks, Joe. So first off, uh, I just want to say thank you. So first off to the ASCM for having me come out and be able to present to you. So I appreciate that specifically to Bernita, Joe, and also Bill Leonard, who actually suggested that I, I bring this new experience into the ASCM group. So I appreciate it. But I am dedicating this book to the supply chain professionals. One of the hardest jobs that uh, we can all go through is going through the supply chain. And what this book really is about is taking all the experiences that you know, I've personally had with many members on this call, but with mentors and teachers, consultants, coworkers, friends, family, that bring about the experiences of uh, driving better business outcomes that, that it, in, uh, in one way, we, we deal with a lot of theory, but actually, how do you put this in practice? And it's uh, quite, uh, quite difficult. And uh, we all uh, deal with the trials and tribulations of supply chain. And even today, right, it's probably one of the most uh, difficult positions to be in in any company in the world these days. So I just want to say thank you. And this book is dedicated to you. So why did I write, write this book? So many of us have done the formal education, the formal theory on you know, what we have to do what do we goals? How do we prevent measures? How do we put processes in place? How do we actually uh, put uh, people with the right background in place to create uh, basically a great supply chain? But what really comes down to reality is you're dealing with people. And so when you're dealing with people, thousands of things have to happen to get to a great outcome. And the reality is those thousands of the things when execution does not happen as expected, you'll deal with a lot of what I call uh, uh, blame, finger pointing. You did wrong, right? We haven't done, we didn't uh, orchestrate the way that we should have to get to the desired outcome. And it's a human behavior and human nature. And what this book tries to focus on, not the theory, because there's a lot of theory, but then what's the reality and how do you deal with the reality of the situations that where many of us are dealing with and trying to uh, drive a great business outcome? So one of the things that uh, has been an experience set for me is in you know, sales and operations planning. And I know we have different names for it and different theories around it, but it really comes down to is what you call it integrated business planning, sales and operations planning, sales inventory and operations planning, Fundamentally, they're the same things. And what they really try to do is bring together a formal cadence of how do you plan demand? How do you actually understand your supply constraints? What decisions company needs to make around it? I very much am a very big proponent of these processes. To me, many businesses, um, many businesses should have this process or be adopting this process because it really helps try to connect your business together. I am a big, big proponent of the process, and I've spent many years um, in the execution of this process and leading it. But one of the things that I've always found intriguing is that 
when it comes down to demand planning, how little attention, how little focus, how, how basically it, uh, even understanding how a demand plan even comes together. To me, that demand plan really puts into motion the ones and zeros of the business of what supply chain is going to need to execute to. You know, what's the capacity we need? What, or, what orders do we need to put on suppliers? What new supply base do we need? Or how do we have to diminish the supply base when we're shrinking? And it's amazing to me those are the processes that when we look for the process, when it comes to fruition, there's very, very, uh, very little focus given to demand planning. And I, I uh, experienced personally firsthand, I've experienced many with my business partners through customers and through um, uh, suppliers as well. So supply chain management. One of the things that first off, in my opinion, you gotta be crazy which I am, right? To go into supply chain and run, run a supply chain. Why is that? In my, my simple mind, right? There's four balancing act key areas of a business that they care about. One is your revenue. Two obviously is the cost. Three is the cash flow, And four is the customer sat piece, which many of us, right? Are fighting really in the throes of customer sat piece today with all the issues that we're dealing with. And so, when one of these quadrants is not achieved, I've always found this absolutely amazing on who actually is held accountable. So it's, it's, it's funny. So if you don't meet the revenue target, you know, many times it comes down to is like sales will say, hey, I've got the order, right? Supply chain couldn't fulfill it. I had these orders or I couldn't get the order because we didn't have the right cost. And so we couldn't meet the revenue because supply chain didn't do their job. And then we look at the cost. If you miss the cost elements, right? Say, well, we don't have the cost because supply chain didn't do their job from the cost perspective. They've got air freighted too much uh, air freight coming in. The cost of the goods increases. Uh, cost of the goods that we expected were not there. When you deal with the cash flow side, right? That you have not met your cash flow goals. Who gets the who gets the burden? The supply chain. You have too much inventory. It happens all the time. And then you go to the customer sat piece here. You know, we always look at the metrics of on-time delivery, which I'll say is only one metric, but the customer satisfied, when a customer is dissatisfied, right? Who gets the brunt of it? And it's amazing. I look at all these areas and I'm like, wow, if we can actually do the revenue, we can manage the cost, the cash flow customer sat, many of these battle each other and they, it's a balancing act. And then that's a perspective in my, in my uh, background said, hey, you really have to balance this no matter what you do, Right, you're gonna you're gonna disappoint in some area because they're not necessarily that well connected. But this was another way of a mindset to look about how managing a supply chain and why the SNOP process is really so important to try to balance this. And by the way, when when the when the uh, credit gets achieved, right, the best we in supply chain can do is hope one no one says anything. So not a pat on the back. Good job, you've accomplished it. The best we have is like. Uh, uh, the best uh, we can get is, hey, you know, uh, no one said, uh, no one says anything, and that's the old, the best recognition many times that we get. So I call it the, uh, I call this what I call is like the air. So we take air for granted, okay? And then when air goes away, guess what happens, right? We all die, we all suffocate, and I think. COVID and the environment that we're in today, it really demonstrates and shows 
all the pieces in the supply chain that have to come together to execute. And now companies lack air today, right? And now it's noticed and is recognized on how important supply chain is. So again, back to the supply chain professionals out there. This is why I've kind of dedicated the book to you to look at this from uh, maybe a different perspective. The other thing I always look at is like, I always uh, get a kick out of, you know, uh, we forecasted wrong. We got to hold sales accountable. Okay. <laughs> How many times have you heard we're going to hold sales accountable? Well, uh, based on my score, right, on sales versus supply chain, when you make it that element, um, I haven't seen supply chain one one battle. Sales is always, you know, on the battle for some reason or another that you, if you go and battle your sales team, it actually does not help. Uh, and typically on the supply chain side, there's less understanding across the C-suite. There's less understanding of what happened. And when you uncover the root, when you start battling sales, it actually uh, hurts um, your overall company performance. So I've given up on battling sales over time and other methodologies out on how to create a better forecast. So, uh, so really what this really book comes about is that when you're dealing in organizations, this is what happens across many of our companies. Either you have a bunch of blame and most of, most of us, we're really defensive, right? We're very defensive because we're getting a lot of, uh, we're getting a lot of fingers pointed at us that, hey, this didn't happen, revenue didn't happen, supply chain. Oh, cost didn't happen, supply chain, right? We couldn't ship on time, supply chain, right? Those hot type of things, it's like, well, wait a second, right? There's a whole or, or, uh, orchestration of many things that have to come to fruition to execute. And then you've got to deal with bias. All of us have bias. All of us love, and especially I love the product management. We love my product, right? Since I love my product, I've got to make sure that we're driving, you know, my specific product as an example. And you're going to run into biases and how do you actually manage through that when you, when you actually are forecasting it. Then there's other pieces that uh, set into play in our companies and apathy. So the in the apathy piece is, hey, we've checked the box. We had our demand planning meeting. Oh, we had uh, we've responded to what our supply plan is. Yep, we checked the box. We've we 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 we've done this meeting. But great, right? You've done the process, but is it meaningful? Has it really helped the organization? Is it someone else's problem, right? To add, to go execute. Those things are very, very, uh, very important things that set into the organizations. So as supply chain professionals, how do we rise above this? And I gotta tell you, it's been very, very uh, 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 terrific learning experience for me of how to look at this from another perspective and rise above many, many of these pieces that sit in all of our businesses, like it or not. So Joe, that's my uh, spiel. So I'll send this over to you. Well, John, first off, thank you for that. Um, truly a wealth of knowledge. Um, definitely a lot of food for thought there. And I kind of just want to jump in and, and unpack it a little bit if, 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 if we, could, we can go down that route. Um, but before we unpack it and, and start going into the details of this, um, I wanted to get a little bit know, to know you a little bit better. So, you know, in, in talking to you and preparing for this, you had mentioned to me that you were a marketing major. And I'm kind of, I'm just kind of curious here uh, and, and forgive me, but how did you wind up becoming a senior leader in supply chain with a marketing background? Okay. Because of my big mouth, 
All right. That's how I got to the supply chain. I'm not very smart. So uh, I got to tell you, right, I've had some wonderful experiences. And in fact, you know, one at, in early in my career, I was a product manager and I got to, I got to have some really, really cool products. Um, back when I was with Motorola, not to eat, to date myself that much. Uh, I am, I am, uh, I'll say I'm mature, uh, but I've had some actually really cool products that I was able to manage and launch. One being StarTac, which if you do uh, are old enough to remember the StarTac, sorry about the antenna, by the way, that was a product. I got to move up and run a, a whole technology for a product and manage it. But at the same time, right, um, as the pressure at Motorola started building and product launches became more important and the revenue started shrinking and we needed to get these new products out, I got more and more frustrated. So uh, many times you can't get a product out to a carrier improves, uh, approves the product. So many iterations, many iterations of trying to get the product approved. And once you get that approved, go ahead, you can go and launch it. But many times, right, we run into some type of issue where it was, oh, the manual's not done yet. Oh, we're missing a battery. Oh, we're missing actually the uh, the box. It's not there. We actually don't even have the supply to actually launch it on time. So I had a what I call one of those uh, classic tirades uh, that uh, I would say that uh, when we finally got approval, we didn't have X, Y, and Z. Um, and uh, amazingly, the next day, um, I was uh, reassigned to actually go into supply chain and manage the uh, sales and operations planning process. Probably because everyone was worried about me first. But I realized one thing, right? They took my inputs uh, that, 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 that there was no different necessary intelligence in the supply chain and there's a lot of guessing and the upfront work that wasn't done properly ended up that we couldn't execute. And so I learned quite a bit in that experience and it gave me a different, uh, a different mindset uh, coming into supply chain um, and basically, it's my fault that I'm here. Wow. Wow. Definitely uh, appreciate that. And uh, definitely interesting to see how that kind of progressed and, and transitioned through that. Um, so you actually mentioned um, somebody gave you an invitation to contact us and we got in touch with you and that was Bill Leonard. And Bill Leonard is a great mentor to me. And I thought that was kind of interesting. So I kind of want to throw it to you and wonder if, you know, did you have any mentors yourself um, that kind of guided you along the way? Did you have anybody that you looked up to or that kind of paved the way for you? Well, I, I, I will say, Joe, I do look up to Bill Leonard only because he's taller than I am. But uh, <laughs> no. so, but I, uh, uh, I actually, I would actually say that, yeah, there's been many coaching along the way in my career. Um, I've had uh, not only bosses, but I got to tell you, I've looked at mentorships actually for team members that were on my team. They actually helped mentor me as well. As I look into the, get into the shoes of what we were dealing with and actually providing me constructive feedback on uh, how to better manage uh, the chaos that we're in and what could I do in my position to actually influence the, a better outcome for us. And so I would say there's been many uh, many mentors as I got along the way they've taken what I what I liked uh, from my management, my team members, and actually peers and say, hey, what can I learn? What did I like about it? And then I take away is like, what did I not like about it? And then how do I shape myself 
as a supply chain leader to say, hey, what's the leader that you want to be versus what you necessarily don't want to be? And so I learned a lot what I don't want to be um, uh, versus somewhat what I want to be. So I continue to evolve uh, as a leader, but I did have some uh, great mentors along the way. And in, in all seriousness, Bill was one of them. So thank you, Bill. I can definitely concur with that. Bill is a, definitely a great uh, person to look up to. He's a great mentor. He definitely uh, uh, strives to bring out the best in people. And I think that's what a great mentor does. And I think that's what we're all kind of hinting at here. So uh, I kind of just want to shift gears a little bit here, um, John, if we can. And I just want to ask you straight out, why would somebody want to read your book? Okay. Um... That's a great question, by the way, Joe. So uh, I felt compelled to write this book because uh, I've spent a lot of time in supply chain theory, a lot of time in supply chain processes, and a lot of time in, in, in best practices in supply chain. Yet, um, even getting educated and experience in it, we still couldn't necessarily achieve uh, great business outcomes. And so there's many supply chain books out there. There's many uh, books on that focus on theory. But then it's like, how do you take this to practice? How do you take your sales and operation to practice when you're not dealing necessarily, you could take all the facts that you want, but when you bring people involved, it actually is a whole uh, different, uh, it's a whole different um, style to get to, a, to try to, it rise above the fray to get to the best business outcome. And you have to be able to manage and influence people at all levels of the organization to try for the best outcome. And many times we fail with that because we're like, there's a senior vice president says, this is what's going to happen. This is what we're going to do. And it may be, I'll just call it a stupid idea, right? But, uh, and it's going to cause downstream harm because that's never going to happen. How do you actually take, um, the pressures of being at different levels of the organization that you're in it and influence a better outcome and not do it as a us versus them mentality, but bring people to the issue and focus on how you go around and focus on the issue. So there's not many books that I've read out there that really focus on the practice versus the theory of it. And that's really why I wrote the book. That's really interesting. You know, the, 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 the relationship between the practice and the theory and one may not work out for the other. Um, and I kind of see where you're going with that. And that would definitely give me the motivation and, and the desire to read the book and kind of learn um, as a young supply professional myself, um, which kind of leads me into the next question that I have for you. And that's what advice would you give to any supply chain professionals? Is there any one piece of information or piece Absolutely. of guidance that you would give? Absolutely. Get out. No. <laughs> I'm joking. Right, so I'm joking. All Run. Right. So uh, I'm joking. So, Run fast. Uh, so, you know, I'd say one thing is that we can fall victim uh, to the circumstances we're in. I, I tell you, I've, uh, I can't tell you how many mistakes I've made and I continue to make mistakes. But, you know, one thing is that I found is that um, that there's some, I got two rules if you're going to be in supply chain, okay? The first rule, right, is put your arms around your coworkers and especially put your arms around your salespeople. 
Why is that, right? Because there's a natural tendency to fight, uh, just a natural tendency there both on both sides because we haven't uh, necessarily have a full understanding of each other and what a salesperson has to go through, what supply chain has to go through, there's many other facets. Rule number one, put your arms around your salespeople. They're not enemies, right? You need sales, right? So you can make money, you can actually have a job and, and prosper. So you need sales, right? It's, it's, a, it's a necessary. So put your arms around them. Don't look to be combative, okay? And don't put processes in place to, sh to shift blame. That's not, that should never be the intent. And then the other rule I have uh, to supply chain professionals, and it's a very important one. So listen to me closely. Don't act like you're in supply chain. When you start going like, well, you didn't forecast it. The forecast access was there. Oh, we didn't have necessarily the safety stock parameters in there. We're on time delivery, blah, 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 blah. It'll tune people out. It'll start tuning people out because uh, you're actually now bringing into jargon that goes into like, okay, here we go. Don't act like it, right? Look at the issue and try to frame it up why the issue occurred, dissect that issue. But many times we'll hide behind, behind the processes and many times we'll use the supply chain lingo. I gotta tell you, right? It, tune, it can tune people out. So don't act like you're in supply chain. Focus on the issue, try to understand because you'll learn something and so will the other, uh, the other elements that are involved in the issue. You will both learn something, and when you learn, you get better. That's my two, two, two rules. I think that's uh, definitely great advice and great, um, I'm gonna call it wisdom, because it just seems that there's a lot of experience and um, firsthand experience that goes into that advice. Um, and, you know, for these supply chain professionals and for anybody listening right now, we we're currently um, living in very volatile times. You know, supply chains are constantly changing. There's always there's constant disruption happening. I mean, we we can look at what's happening with the ports, um, and it can be a bit daunting to tackle. So I'm I'm just kind of curious to pick your brain a little bit about when we start looking forward. Do you see a return to normalcy in the global supply chains? Or are we going to be creating a new normal or whatever the case may be? Is this the new world that we're gonna be living in? And I was wondering if you could just comment on that a little bit and give uh, your insights. Yeah, well, this is only a hour meeting. So uh, <laughs> I'll, give you, I'll give you some, uh, some of my, um, uh, my points of view. So first off, if you look at the, the, uh, the COVID uh, environment that we are living in today, I call that, that accelerated a workforce to come out of the business. That was already happening. So we've had a workforce that's been aging in many industries, mining, you know, manufacturing, distribution, right? So we've had an aging workforce that's accelerated. Then you have this disruptions, right? When you shut down ports, shut down cities, shut down electricity, uh, all those pieces of it that actually end up, uh, you know, causing um, this amount of disruption. And you, know, you have all these companies single in 2020, we've all tightened our belts. So we all went together and said, hey, we got to focus on cash flow right now, tighten the belts, furlough employees, make sure that uh, you don't uh, bring in any inventory, those type of things. And we missed this explosion on, hey, there's still consumer demand out there one way or another. 
And so uh, everybody forecasted uh, wrong. And so what do we do? Well, we're extending lead times. Okay, here we go, right? So that means everyone's extended order lead time. So everyone's order book is massive right now. They got a massive order book. And the, what I see is that that order book, right? Because you're taking lead times that used to be three weeks, four weeks, to 20 weeks, to 26 weeks. Do you think this order book is solid? I would say there's no company in the world that can give you an order book 26 weeks out. No way. There's no way you can do that. So you're looking at these dynamics. Now we're going to have a supply chain. We're all looking to find um, and find opportunities to get more capacity and get uh, more supply, so to speak, with the disruptions that we're in. But there also is going to be an element here that we are going to manage uh, uh, inflation. We are going to have a higher cost of goods, and it, the, the economy is going to have to decelerate at some point. It happens, and so. We are gonna go into a point, I think, eventually where now we've gone the opposite direction because everyone needs to close the gap, close the gap, close the gap. But we're all gonna be um, uh, uh, held to what I call the lowest common denominator right now. So it could be a rubber tire, it could be a chipset, it could be a specific resin that's not necessarily there anymore. So I think that we are uh, number one, um, we're all looking at our own order books to see how we close them. But if you look at the broader perspective, if a uh, OEM you know, doesn't have all the piece parts particularly, right? your, your specific product will be uh, impacted by that. So we gotta think uh, a little more strategic about it. Secondly, those that are uh, heavily dependent on labor and have not invested in automation, it's gonna be very, very uh, difficult for these, uh, these companies to stay alive. And I think that many of us in supply chain have gone after direct material cost, direct material, direct material cost at all costs, right? And now we're suffering from, there's no automation, there was no uh, reinvestment in automation with the companies we've been pounding on the margin with, and we're all struggling because of that. So no, uh, we are not gonna get back to normal. Labor is always going to continue to be a challenge going forward. The, the labor market entering is not the same labor market entering 20 years ago. And lastly, we have um, uh, we have to be very, very cautious of what's actually going to constrain our specific product based on something else. So that's my three my three views on the future. Definitely appreciate that, John, and uh, definitely see how. You're kind of your experience is kind of playing into how you view the current landscape that we're currently living in and um it, it it's making me wonder you have a lot of knowledge you have a lot of experience and given everything that you've talked about today and the fact that you came out with this book are you currently consulting with other companies are do, do, are you are you in that space um are you looking into that space um no uh, i'd say i'm not i'm not consulting I do, um, in my experience with uh, many consultants that I would see many I battled with, uh, many I also felt undermined with, but there's also some consulting companies and supply chain that I also have a lot of respect for. So I would, um, uh, myself, um, and this is just verbatim, depending on the, on the uh, scope or size of what you're doing, I, do, I would have some recommendations on where to go. But, uh, you know, I think the consulting for me personally is if I don't hands, have my hands on the steering wheel, it's uh, not 
my personal style. I got to have my hands on the steering wheel to drive. Uh, but I do have some recommendations. I would say, depending on the need, I would make some recommendations there too. But what I do do uh, um, is I do spend some time in some speaking engagements. Uh, a lot of times that uh, your C-suite needs to hear it from somebody else, um, or there's a small supply chain conference or a large supply chain conference that are looking for any type of speaking engagements. I will do that if we can you know, figure out the time. So I'll bring some speaking engagement opportunities into, but from the consulting work, you know, I also have the uh, 70 hour a week uh, job that uh, you know, I've got to manage uh, our supply chain with today. But thanks Joe for, for asking. Yeah, I just, I just figured, you know, with the wealth of knowledge that you have, um, I figured that might be a, a road for you to go down. And it was just something that I was picking up on. Um, so I want to kind of start wrapping things up because I want to leave time for uh, questions from the audience. But before we get, get to that point, um, can you give me maybe three takeaways from your book that a supply chain professional would pick up? Okay. Uh... So I, I'd say, uh, first off, right, this is not a book, uh, if you don't have uh, some time and experience in the supply chain. So bringing this to a fresh out, out of college, marketing this to a college, um, without some time and experience in supply chain, I don't think the book's going to be very, very meaningful. But it does paint a picture on um, where we get sucked into uh, you know, the standard process of driving the supply chain, what it tries to attempt to do is give you a different lens, a different way to look at you, look at your organization and how things actually happen for. So if we're looking ourselves to go kick something down, uh, the can down the road and let someone else deal with it, we're not doing our jobs. And so to me, it's to give us a different lens and how we actually look at our organizations and then help drive a better outcome. I would also say is that I will give some tips, right? In the book, it gives you some of my experiences that I've got from many of you and some tips to say, hey, based on given the situation, based on how uh, you perceive something, here's some tips on how you can actually manage it and actually share with your organization to give some different levels of why certain outcomes are happening and give some tips on how do you avoid that in the future. And I, I would say lastly, this is not a quick read. It's not a, uh, what I call a, uh, 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 a theoretical, this is all the, uh, the piece in the supply chain book. It's actually just some sage advice that I try to give. I hope that it's sage, but I believe that uh, for a uh, middle management, uh, senior management supply chain, and not just supply chain, um, but, uh, uh, presidents, CEOs, CFOs, that have provided another piece of perspective. And I guarantee you there'd be one key takeaway, at least one key takeaway that you can take to your business to exist at the end of the day, make decisions for the better business outcome. Don't get wrapped up in the functionality because functionality is just going to create chaos. Who's going to rise above this to make better decisions for the organization? Wow. Uh, folks, if you know, these are great insights, uh, great, um, you know, words of wisdom here for to apply to your business and your supply chains. Um, and John, I really thank you for the time that you have spent uh, talking to us and kind of giving us an overview of your book. I think um, everybody out here is probably looking to get a hold of this book. And I believe it, you know, it's out now. It's the 
it, it, and I think we have the information to get it out to the people who, if anybody wants to look into purchasing it. Um, so at this point, uh, John, what I'd like to do is I'd like to turn it over to anybody that's here on the call and open it up to some questions. And we actually did receive um, a few questions here. Um, and uh, the first one that we received is from our very own Bill Leonard. And uh, Bill. <laughs> That's shocking. I know, I know. So, sorry, John. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Bill wrote in and he wrote, uh, he wants to know, with, with the recent emphasis on AI, machine lear learning, digitization, and, and uh, et cetera, how is the human ele element justified and baked into the process? Okay, so Bill, that's an excellent question. <laughs> uh, and so to me, right, we talk about AI and we talk about bringing information in the cloud to actually make better decisions and take some of the human element out of the equation and have uh, a continuous learning. I will have to say at this point in my experience, where this can help us is in anticipating replenishment. So if you get data from sitting in a Walmart and sitting, you can get real-time point of sale in the store, and you can say, oh, this thing needs to go be replenished. You can anticipate the replenishment. And I think that will help us in the call the execution phase. But there's no AI on the planet that at least I see at this point, there probably will be in the future, that actually can take and look at when this key decisions really have to be made, right? So you got uh, AI will be uh, funneled into what I would say, it'll help on the replenishment piece, so when to replenish, but it won't help on what you have to do from a uh, forecasting perspective when you need to make these key decisions on chipsets, when you need to make these key decisions on lenses, displays, how are they going to predict when your new product's going to be introduced or not? And the impact on those type of things. So to me, there's still a human element in there that's going to be very, very important. AI, you know, can predict uh, some biases in there, but it will help us on replenishment. I have yet to see anything that helps us on the longer term planning that's really viable, but it may be able to help us uh, dissect what we need to focus on. So that's my perspective on uh, all the investments going in here. Don't lose sight. There's still humans behind it. Wow, great, great, uh, great insights there and great advice. Um, appreciate that. And actually uh, Bill has um, just a follow-up question. He wants to know if there have any recommendations on how to push the blame discussions at the end of the process to meaningful risk versus reward discussions at the front end of the process. So could you just repeat the question I just uh Yeah, so it's he was looking for recommendations on how to push blame discussions yeah. at the end of the process to meaningful risk yeah, okay. versus reward right. at the front end of the process. Right. So I think uh, coming back to the say uh, what I first said is you got to put your arms around your salespeople. So there's, a, there's some intangibles that come into play, right? First off, you know, answer some questions like, uh, who owns demand planning? If you can't answer that question, right, in your company, you better go find out, right, how that's that's managing as an example. So if it's all, you know, like, well, 
you know, at the end of the day, it's sales. Well, if you say it's sales, right? Well, that's a, that could be thousands of people, right? It's not necessarily there. They could be biased. So I think it's a, a, a managing of one is being able to bring enough intelligence that, that uh, from my perspective as a supply chain leader, I got to understand not supply chain. I've got to understand the entire business model. And if you don't understand your entire business model, you're actually going to be narrowly focused on, okay, now I got a, I got a sales order. What do I execute? Actually, how do I bring that discussion up front and bring that intelligence up front? So I think there's a one as uh, uh, looking at the organization from your business model perspective. And then two, there, there does have to be a sense of uh, trust and development of the individuals that are bringing those to the place that are meaningful. And at least be able to articulate, this is going to be the business risk um, if this doesn't happen or X doesn't happen uh, and make sure that those discussions are there. So it's got to be centered around resident sales and operations planning process in my mind to have those discussions before you press the demand button. And I think that's where I came back and I pulled out that, that one piece of the sales and operation process that said demand planning gets little attention. You got to bring that. You've got to bring that uh, element into the into that process. And it does take uh, uh, it does take an art form that comes with the science. Wow. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree with that 100%. Um, and I appreciate that. Uh, we have another question here from Thomas. And Thomas is asking, um, what other areas such as sales, manufacturing, finance should expect from supply chain when working on SNOP? Um, what should they, what, what should um, supply chain expect from them? And what, what is reasonable and what is not reasonable? Okay. So, uh, so that, that's a great question. Remember sales and operations planning, right? Is an organizational process. It's not a supply chain process, even though, Right, many people in supply chain are actually leading the process mostly out of uh, self-defense. But when you're looking at your supply chain uh, partners, I do talk about this in the book too. You've got finance, you've got product management, you have sales, you have um, uh, uh, you have even believe it or not, you can usually have uh, human resources involved in the process. But I think the key one is aligning and educating on your decisions going forward. So um, the expectations is, hey, right, we're gonna uniformly develop a signal that says, hey, this is probably the most pragmatic signal, which is wrong, by the way, right? It's still wrong, um, but this is the most pragmatic signal, balancing the, uh, the, the risk and opportunities of that signal that financially roll it up to. So your finance person, you know, could be coming in and if you have a financial roll up at the end are saying, wow, this doesn't make sense. That's weight. We've never had that revenue before or wow, right? Um, the cost is way out of the structure. What are we going to go do about it? You got to bring those elements to the party to help make uniform decisions. And so when you get to what I call the executive meetings, by the way, which end to me, not many companies hold those very, very well because they're not necessarily well orchestrated. And by the way, you're bringing senior executives in that you're trying to make hard decisions on. They want to push that down by natural. But the, to, the me is that 
It's got to be a unified approach with a leader that helps orchestrate the message to the senior leadership team. And so as a sales and operations planning lead, for example, you're not supply chain, right? You are trying to actually lead a cross-functional organization on helping drive the best outcome for your business. And it's a perspective that uh, uh, we get lost in our functionalism of the business. Wherever you belong, that's who you are. So I think that's um, uh, very important uh, that you do your best to align and learn with the other functions of the organization that each has a bias of what he or she would want. Wow. There's a lot of beers that go along with that, by the way. <laughs> I'm not complaining, but it's, uh, it's developing those relationships and trust with your partners. Yeah, definitely uh, see the value in that. And I think everybody would kind of agree with that. Um, and I kind of want to end on this last question here that we have from John uh, Ivarone, who said, uh, I've worked with John for many years and know him ver firsthand, his expertise in breaking down organizational barriers to build a better SNOP process and building an atmosphere of shared liabilities. His book defines the reality of how to get there. Question. How did you break down the sales team barrier to create a partnership? So, uh, John, I'll pay you later for that uh, comment. I appreciate it. So, <laughs> and nice to see you, by the way. Um, again, you know, it comes down through uh, it comes down through relationships, and you have to provide the relationships. So, if you're, you know, if you're firing back, you're not going to call it. There's always a fired spike, and you're firing back. You create walls in the organization. Your mindset is how do you build bridges in the organization? And in fact, you can make sales your best friend. And I give you a great example, okay? When you look at your sales funnel in November and December for the next year, that sales funnel is so small. Where, where's the sales funnel, right? Well, it was just this big. Where's the sales funnel? It's really, really small. Why is that? Well, then you start looking into it like, must well, because quotas are being made. So we're actually going to, you know, we're not going to put stuff in the sales funnel because we're going to get a quota. So we want our quota to be the lowest, uh, the lowest number it's going to be. That's the reality. So then it's like, okay, you're going to talk to every salesperson and say, what's real? No. But if you look at your largest uh, opportunities, you work with those salespeople and you can do examples like, hey, I'm garnering other insights that I understand why you're not necessarily putting it, but you get other insights to say, hey, this is highly likely to happen, but you got to develop that trust with them to be able to communicate that information instead of, well, I was in the sales funnel, so we didn't forecast it. And then every first quarter, we had all these orders come out of nowhere, right? <laughs> it really comes down to develop that relationship. You can't do it with every salesperson, but you find those that have the big customers, that have the big opportunities that you you uh, you become you, you establish a trust with, and I call that hey, you never call salespeople the carpet, you never call the um, uh, you, you never call the uh, uh, out that hey, if they're going to whisper near, you got to keep that trust, and then as you you can actually help make the organization make a decision based off of more factual what's happened in the past. You can actually fabricate some type of stories. And I don't mean fabricate, but develop a, a case why you actually want to forecast it at certain times. And that's establishing that trust, right? And then uh, to me, 
that takes you know a lot of time and a lot of ex, uh, a lot of time, some experience, and some of the personalities that you got to bring to the uh, bring to the party to work with your salespeople. And so I always found, you know, in my uh, in my uh, uh, experiences, there would be eight, nine, ten, right, that I'd be get very very close with and look at the situation that we're dealing with. The other thing I'll just tell you, John, uh, and to, into the team. When you say sales, uh, you know, knows what they, they need, that's kind of crap. Many times they have no idea, right? Many times they have no idea what's going to happen, or they've uh, uh, or or actually have to uh, have to bring something to the table so they don't get yelled at. That may be full of full of uh, BS. So those relationships with sales are very important. So when I say supply chain folks, put your arms around your salespeople. That's an example of how you do it. Um, yeah, definitely um, great advice, John. Really do appreciate it. We do have one last question here, and this comes from one of our board members, Niti, uh, who's on the call right now. And she's wondering if there are any best practices, such as in supply chain or business in general, that have gone, quote unquote, out of style uh, that you think that we need to bring back. Where what are we missing here? What do we what, what what do we need to return to, so to speak, if anything? So you know, one of the things that uh, uh, you know, and this is again you know, my own bias, right? You know, we've put a whole discipline and processes and measures in place. We put these measures in place. If we achieve them all, you know, everything's gonna everything's gonna be great. So there was one element, right, that um, actually came out of the APEX form with retailers is forecast accuracy. And then when you're working with the forecast accuracy, we have these great measures that say, hey, here's was the planned order. Did we achieve the planned order at the right time? Did that come in, right? And then when you put that in practice, everyone's forecast accuracy, when you look at a WMATE model, even a month before, you look at it, it's like, wow, we're at 20%, we're at 18%, we're at 20, 30%. Every company is at 30%, every company is at 20%, right? And to me, right, the, the, the science comes into it, it's like, hey, Pareto that, understand, right? And Pareto, why X was missed, Y was missed, Z was missed. And when you start capturing a Pareto again and saying, wow, when you find right, those elements of what you miss in the forecast, you can do two things. One, you can accept, you know, part of it is that you're always going to be wrong, so accept that. So what do you do from a safety stock strategy potentially or how you manage uh, VMI with some of our vendors, they have our VMIs with customers, it gives you another set of what do we do, need to do as an organization for the uncertainty that we're dealing with. And number two, it also can point out very very thing, uh, uh, things that always happen. I, my favorite is, man, at the end of the year, the retailers got all this money and they got to spend all this money. And it was not forecasted. Of course it wasn't forecasted, but it happens every year. There's all this money to sit down with retailers and we got to go, they've got to go spend. If you didn't plan for that months and months or even quarters back, you're just going to be chasing and scrambling and adding a lot of cost to try to, to get those dollars. But that comes out of understanding your forecast accuracy. And um, to me, the Pareto around it, we give a lot of attention to the metric. We don't give attention behind it. How do you leverage that metric to learn? So that's the one example. That's, yeah. Uh, definitely see how um, 
companies need to really fine tune their um, their forecasting accuracies um, and definitely see how the book, um, your book, um, is definitely, you know, you know, forecasting without liars. Um, it's going to help companies better position themselves. It's going to help companies better to take a look at what's actually happening and what's going on. And I think that's kind of the key takeaway here is we need to understand what's actually happening and be able to, uh, to make those better decisions. Um, and it, it starts with our forecast. It starts with our data. So, um, uh, John, I really do appreciate your time that you've given us here. I, I appreciate you sharing a little bit of insights on, on your book, Forecasting with Outliers. Um, and I thank you, um, you know, just for sharing everything that you have today with us. Um, I just want to wrap things up and I think I'm going to pass it over to uh, Bernita to close out. I'm Joe Moretta with Supply Chain Briefs and I'm going to pass this over now to uh, Bernita. So Bernita. Hi, thanks for having me back. Well, John, that was great. That was really informative. And I have a feeling that we're going to be um, hearing from you in the future. Uh, and uh, as a reminder to our guests, uh, we are going to be having a drawing after today's event. Um, and one lucky uh, guest will have received a copy of John Mead's book. And also we'll be supplying to you a copy of uh, um, all the links for today's presentation that will be available on podcast and in YouTube. Usually we, our um, production time takes us a few days uh, because we are a smaller organization, but we will get that, make that available to you. And uh, we will be posting our spring schedule very soon. Um, so watch and we look forward to seeing you again. Thanks everyone. And on behalf of our entire AFCM, New York City, Long Island Forum, uh, for the, from the committee, from the board members, thank you for attending and happy holidays.